Hi, this is Alex. You might know my mom, Heather, from Shine.fm. This is Shine.fm MomCast. Here's my mom. My guest today on the Shine.fm MomCast is Stacy Faulkner. Stacy and I have known each other for about five years, and Stacy and I today are going to be talking about uh, your story, Stacy, and how you and your husband, Brian, became parents, and then talking about your daughter, and then kind of going a little further and helping some of us uh, that are in the body of Christ help those that have um, special needs kids in their lives. So introduce yourself to our audience first, Stacy. Yeah, it's so fun to um, be a part of this today. Um, like Heather said, I'm Stacy from Michigan. Um, I'm in the radio business as well. Work for a local um, nonprofit radio station, um, Power 88.3 and 90.7 Hope FM. Been doing that for almost 10 years now, and my role has looked different here and there every single year. Um, but currently, I'm the digital relations coordinator um, by day, and then of course, a mom and a wife. Um, you know, as job number one, of course, but, um, and yeah, so I'm excited to, to just talk through our story. Our family's story is my favorite and it's, um, the best thing that I love to talk about. So why don't you share first, just, um, the story of how you and your husband, um, wanted to be parents and kind of that journey. I think, uh, there are probably going to be many people listening that can relate to that part of your story and then kind of lead us into your decision, uh, to adopt Addie and how that came about. So just, uh, share your story with becoming a mom. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for anybody who's, you know, dreamt of the, you know, perfect scenario, you get married, you buy a house, you have kids, that's not the case for everybody. And it wasn't the case for us. Um, You know, when we began the process of having kids, we early on found out that we had infertility problems. And but we kept trying, we did a few things. But I mean, over a course of a probably a span of six years or more, we finally decided enough's enough. And uh, it was kind of cool the way God did that. Um, I didn't really, I didn't feel like I wanted to go into in vitro and go into debt for all of that and all the other crazy things that women go through. And yet it's very courageous for them. And that's their lane. Um, I give them a lot of credit for going through that. But I didn't feel like for me, that was what I needed to do. And so shortly after that, um, I remember just giving it all to God. I mean, I truly, one Sunday, just gave it all to God. And I said, okay, God, whatever you have for our family, um, I am yours, and um, your will be done. And then shortly after that, God started kind of working in my husband's heart separately, and then, um, which I didn't know. And then one Sunday afternoon, we just started talking, and and I just brought up the idea of adoption. Mm. And I said, "Have you thought? Have you have you thought about adoption?" And my husband's response was surprising because he said, "Yeah, all the time." And in fact, I thought about it more recently. And so the fact that God was kind of working on both of our hearts at the same time—that when we finally decided to talk about this, it was like a no-brainer. We were like, "Okay." This is this is what God wants us to do. So um, from there, uh, we began researching. What you know? What do we want to do? Do we want to do domestic, or, or do we want to do an international adoption? Uh, we saw the cost of the international adoption, and again, didn't feel like our story needed to end up in debt. So we really felt like God wanted us um, to love on a child here um, domestically here in in the United States. So we went through all the classes and did all the stuff that we were supposed to do. 
And, of course, we kept praying that whole time. Um, It's interesting you should know that when we filled out the paperwork for what we might like to see in in a child that we bring home, um, and even just being very transparent, as the adoption worker said, you know what you can handle. Because in this scenario, when you're bringing a child or a baby into your home, this is a point where you can choose what you can handle. When you, when you give birth to a child, you don't always, you can't always control that, that. But with the adoption process, you can control that a little bit. And so we prayed through that again, and then we um, kind of decided we, you know, we figured out what we could handle. And one of those things was we, we couldn't handle a medically fragile child or a child with um, disabilities. Hmm. Then, um, after probably I think it was like three months after our license came in the mail, we finished all the process. About three months after that, which is pretty quick, we got a phone call, and it was for a baby girl. Um, she was ten months old. We didn't know much about her. Um, I actually missed the phone call because see my nails done, which I never do. Um, and oh, that's funny. <laughs> I missed, I know, right? I was taking care of myself finally, and um, I missed all six of the phone calls, but my husband intercepted the phone call at work, and he couldn't get a hold of me, and there was this baby girl waiting for us, and he said in that moment, I just prayed, God, is this our child? And, um, And he felt at peace about it, so he returned the call, and, and he said yes, mm. and it for some, it might, you know, sound weird that he didn't, you know, ask me what I thought. But in that moment, he knew this was our little girl, and I trusted him with that decision as well when we finally were able to talk. Uh, so we didn't know much about her. All we knew at that time was that she was having some seizures, um, which really there's so many people, children, adults living with seizures, and, and that's one of those things that can be controlled. So given that that was the only thing we knew about her, um, as well as very other limited information, uh, we went through with it. And we met each other at home an hour later, and we stood in this bedroom um, with a crib and then a twin bed because we didn't know what age child we were going to get. And I remember my freak-out moment. I looked around and I said, what are we going to feed it? <laughs> My husband had to remind me, this is a child, it is not an it. Um, but we laugh about, we laugh about those moments because it was, there was so much anticipation leading up to this. Um, as much as you can prepare, you can't prepare with adoption. And we started with, um, we did foster care to adopt. And so basically we told our adoption worker, do not call us unless it looks like this case is going to adoption, Mm. uh, which it was. So there was a lot that happened in between then, but we didn't get to meet our daughter until the the next day because she was, in fact, very ill Mm. when she was picked up. Um, She was taken to the ER. She was malnourished. Um, She was having seizures every 20 to 30 seconds, mm. um, with seizures being up to 30 to 40 an hour. Wow. And so we quickly began to see this unraveling 
and it was very scary. God, what did we say yes to? Even in the midst of that, still knowing that this was our baby girl. And so he right then was beginning this process of trusting him. We can look back and we're so thankful for that. But uh, we remember getting to the hospital that next day and riding up the elevator. Um, and, I, you know, you, you think you can prepare for that moment when you see your child for the first time, whether it is you're giving birth to them or whether you're picking them up from a hospital. And that was always one of my dreams. I always said to my husband, I want to bring a baby home from a hospital. Mm-hmm. And God allowed that to happen. Um, and it was amazing. She was in the hospital for a good week, um, just getting nourished, getting her medications right. But finally, when they were like, are you ready to bring home? He reminded me, Stacy, do you remember that was one of your dreams to bring a baby home from the hospital? And you got to do that. Mm-hmm. And I just remember breaking, breaking down in the hallway of the hospital. And there's so many moments. I mean, I could go on and on about the God moments of the story. Um, but absolutely, our Adeline was meant to be with us. That is so cool. So let's talk about um, the fact that, yes, you said that you did not want a medically child, you know, challenged child. What I love, and I actually just got tears in my eyes, is that when God gave you guys that vision and you knew that Addie was going to be yours, how that you know, there's been a lot of challenges, and I want you to, to talk about that a little bit because it wasn't just seizures. There's been a lot more that you have figured out about what has been going on with Addie, but that that you both were on the same page and that even though you didn't think that you could handle a medically challenged child, that is really what God has given you in Addie. Um, she does have special needs. And so talk about what you guys have found out and figured out about Addie since you brought her home. Absolutely. So, uh, like you said, we we knew she had the seizures, but other than that, we didn't know. And it was like chasing rabbit holes, Um, you know, really still chasing rabbit holes because there was no history on her. There was no history on the family, um, um, some of the, the birth family um, information, but there was there was nothing on her. And so when we went to the hospital, we learned of her seizures. We saw her seizures, which every single 20 seconds was heartbreaking. Mm. We didn't know until about three weeks after we brought her home, uh, we went to see a neurologist, and uh, we got the second diagnosis of cerebral palsy, mm. uh, which actually goes hand in hand. She was a um, uterine rupture, her um, birth mother had a uterine rupture at birth, and so she lost oxygen. She didn't breathe for the first three minutes of her life. Mm. She's, a, she's a miracle. And so the lack of oxygen led to the seizures, which led to the cerebral palsy. Um, and so we we found things out little by little, and I have a binder still, the biggest binder you've ever seen of <laughs> notes and doctor's appointments and the history of the last, she's six now, but over the last five or six years of us just chasing rabbit holes and figuring out who is Addie complexly as far as her um, abilities or disabilities and uh, her medical needs. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it has been a crazy six years, and um, we still haven't figured it out yet. I'm still looking for that book that's supposed to explain everything, but, again, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but again, we it's every opportunity to continue trusting God and 
honestly, you take away all of those diagnoses, and we fell in love with her instantly when we saw her, and it didn't matter at that point. Yeah. So let's talk about cerebral palsy because I know that as, and I've known you for five years, and I believe it was right around the time when you and I met that you guys were in the process of bringing Addie home and adopting her. But let's talk specifically. I do not know a lot about cerebral palsy, and I have shared with you that I have had huge misconceptions about someone with Mm -hmm. cerebral palsy, and there were things that you have shared in a private group that I'm a part of that you've also shared on social media about um, what what and how Addie can communicate with you guys, especially now. Like, I specifically remember a time when you shared on social media that um, Addie, or maybe it was even in the private group that we're part of, I can't remember exactly, where Addie was really frustrated when you guys would leave her alone in a room. And you would you you would say, oh, I you know we're having struggles with this, and because of some of the misconceptions that I have had about cerebral palsy, I didn't quite understand that. And so, what's good is that you and I are friends, and we were able to facilitate some conversations. But I think for people in the church who maybe are friends with, or or even just in the body of Christ with people who have kids who have cerebral palsy, help explain what goes on with Addie, what you guys have figured out, and what you think people what those misconceptions are that people have about cerebral palsy. Absolutely. I'll first say um, I didn't know what cerebral palsy was before we were faced with it with right. our with our daughter. And, and to go a step further, I think I was very naive to other disabilities around me. Before I became a special needs mom, I didn't mm-hmm. see the same way. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand the same way. And of course you wouldn't because you didn't walk in the shoes. Um, and so I see life so much differently now, and some and a lot of that is better. Yeah. I see things better. But with cerebral palsy, Addie's specific um, diagnosis is quadriplegic, which is all four limbs, spastic, um, which is like the spasticity of your muscles, the tightness of your muscles, and then cerebral palsy. So um, basically, it's a condition uh, that impairs your muscle coordination, and it mainly is caused by that damage at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically for her, when she lost oxygen, there's that part of the brain that doesn't know how to talk to her muscles to tell it what to do. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times her muscles are very dystonic, um, kind of erratic. Um, she kicks and jerks a lot and things like that, and, and it is a little bit more expressed differently when she's happy because right. the kicking gets, um, you know, a little bit more intense. But, um, yeah, that, I mean, in a nutshell, that's the cerebral palsy, but it looks different for every single person and or child. And I guess one of the things that I, and I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, but I think that this was a misconception that many people probably have about cerebral palsy, but I didn't realize that there were ways that Addie can communicate with you and ways that you can communicate with Addie. So will you talk a little bit about that? Because I know, too, that, like, there have been times when um, kids have wanted to approach Addie but were afraid or were unsure of how she might respond because of some of the movements that she can't control. But it's um, I feel like we need to break down some of those misconceptions about when, you know, if I were to see Addie, I should make eye contact with her. I should talk to her. I should um, treat her like 
a normal child because in, in her brain, in a lot of ways, that is who she is. And so will you break down some of those misconceptions um, and how we can better communicate and how you guys have learned to communicate with Abby? That is so good, and that's something that's deep on my heart, mainly from our experiences. Uh, you may remember the story I told you, and, and I'll tell it again. We were in a um, grocery store several months back, and there was a little boy. We were standing waiting at the checkout line, and there was a young boy in the cart who was very curious about Addie, and kids are very curious, and, and I love that about kids. Mm-hmm. And Addie was having a great day, and so she was kicking and doing all her squealing and and noises that come out of her that don't make sense to a lot of people, but I I know what they mean. Right, right. Um, But generally, she was happy, and he kept looking at her, and he, I was close enough to hear what he had said to his father, and he said, Daddy, why is that girl acting that way? Hmm. And it was a very honest question, especially coming from a young child. Right. And all the father said was, just never mind, don't look at her. Mm. And I remember in that moment feeling crushed. And I remember at that moment feeling like, oh, that father let his son down in a way where what an opportunity he missed to share and um, to share, you know, our differences. Um, There's so many other things that he could have said that he didn't. And there's grace for him. I've forgiven him. I don't even know his name. But in that moment, I was crushed, mm. and 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 I kept thinking to myself, there were so many other things he could have said, um, and and that's just one moment. There's been other uh, moments like that, and then there's been good moments too, where young kids would come up to Addie and want to give her a high five, not even thinking twice that she's in a wheelchair, right. and in the Again, sometimes the parents come up and, oh, I'm so sorry. But then I get a chance to say, no, thank you for doing that. They can ask her questions. They can give her a hug, like whatever. And I have a chance to very briefly tell that parent how much that meant to me and to my child. Addie is very much a six-year-old kid (laughs) who wants to do everything that all the kids are doing, and she sees that. And the how her face and her world lights up when she gets to interact with other children and other people is amazing. And I just hope that I get more opportunities to share with people and to show people um, that these are people too, and uh, they want to be understood. Um, and I just I just pray for opportunities like that. And um, again, I, I have to give grace when those opportunities aren't given as well. Right. How have you guys overcome, even in your own family, um, with your you know grandparents and aunts and and uncles, how they interact with Addie and how you can communicate? Because I know that you guys have worked really really hard on sign language. And I know there's some other things that you have done. Explain to us what are some of the ways that you, because just to be clear, Addie can't necessarily use her words all the time. I'm, I think you guys are working on some of that, but there's, there's, she can't say to you, I'm done, or I want more, or I'm tired, or she can't say those things necessarily. So how do you communicate with her? And then how have you helped those that are closest to you help communicate and interact with Addie? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely been something that has just developed day after day. I mean, we've had her since she was 10 months old, and she was very much an infant when we got her. Um, I'll even go as far to say she didn't even know how to smile Mm -hmm. for the first three 
three weeks probably that we had her, she didn't understand that emotion because that wasn't part of her first 10 months of life, I'll, I'll say the least. Um, she began to smile, and she began to understand herself, and she began to understand emotion. So I think a lot of the co- communication started through um, those nonverbal, nonverbal communication that happens with facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And so that started early on. But then we began to see she just blossomed. I mean, after she needed to have good nutrition mm. and people around her that loved on her. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but love is healing. And in many ways, Addie has been healed. Mm. Um, she you started to pick up on eye gaze. And so very early on in her first couple years of life, she would look at things and stare at things and then stare at you back and then look back at the thing to say, I want that. And so early on, eye gaze was a a big thing. It was like, I'm pretty sure that's what she wants over there. Right. Um, But then we began to implement sign language, like you said, but it wasn't typical sign language um, that you would learn in a classroom because um, her mobility is very limited. Um, The spasticity in her arms, she couldn't make certain gestures. And so we were in a speech class one time for her, and the and the teacher said, "Well, why don't we just make up our own sign language?" Mm. And I thought, "That sounds good to me. What do you suggest?" <laughs> and so um, she understands yes and no, um, but she couldn't say or express yes or no. And so we began to say, you know, ask her yes and no questions. Oh, I mean, everything throughout the day. Do you want this? Yes or no? Do you want to do this? Yes or no? And to this day, a lot of things are yes and no questions because she gets it and she can communicate. Mm. She would learn to put her hand on the top of her head for yes. Um, And then, of course, she could shake her head back and forth for no. And, of course, we get a lot of no's throughout the day just because (laughs) she's a six-year-old child. Right, yeah. (laughs) But um, that was a huge thing. Um, Another thing she learned early on was uh, an abbreviated sign for more. Mm. And she used that sign all day long, more, more, more. And so then we had to figure out, what do we want more of? Right, right. <laughs> so then we, would, then we would go back to the yes or no questions. Do you want more of this? Do you want more of And so all of those little, and, and in the moments they seemed so small, they were so big. And I tell you what, for somebody who doesn't truly know Addie, she understands way more than you think she does. Mm. And um, and a lot of people have noticed that on their own without me having to say that. Um, she can pick up feeling. She can pick up um, a tone in a room. And she, you know, it, it, it's almost like she has this extra special gift. Even though she's nonverbal, she picks up on so many other things. Mm. And um, if, if this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Let's shift a little bit now to um, what do you think is um, the biggest hurdle that you guys as a family have had to overcome having a special, you know, being a special needs family? Like what, what's what been one of the harder things that you guys have uh, are working on or overcome? And I think I know what the answer is going to be, but I want to know what you have to say. But, you know, for families who are also with special needs kids, what are some struggles that you guys have had and how have you overcome them? I think, um, well, of course, all three, mentally, physically, regardless of whether you have an atypical child or a um, 
a special needs child, being a parent of young ones is mentally and physically exhausting. <laughs> um, and you know that, Heather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but then you, you, you add those special needs on top of it, and it's magnified. Um, and then, of course, emotionally, I think um, for me, I went from having a um, full-time job um, at the radio station to having to work part-time there. Um, I'm very grateful uh, for the flexibility that I've been given. Um, I found a lot of pride in my job, and I've always worked, if not one, two or three jobs throughout my life. Mm. And so from going from having a full-time career to having to cut back on that or having to say no to that, or I'll even go as far to say not seeing my friends as much. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those different branches were very hard for me. I had to redefine who I was. And again, being a mom, a new mom, and then a new mom with a special needs child, um, it began to feel lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, you soon learn um, who your close friends are, who you can, uh, you become a part of like this private life, um, a life that maybe um you don't understand unless you are a special needs mom. And that's not to say that we're any special or it's just different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a hard time identifying with my other friends who were moms because we, you know, I would get a phone call, let's go have a park date. Well, a park date doesn't look the same to me as it does to you. Right. You can sit on a bench and you can talk about life while your kids go play and I have to attend to my child. And, and again, I had to learn grace in that situation, but in in those first couple years, um, there was a lot of adjustments made to my career, to my identity, and um, even to our marriage mm-hmm. as well. And then there's that the grieving part, which I learned a lot about grieving when um, we brought Addie home, because I thought grieving was only for people who had lost somebody. Mm. I had to learn that grieving is good and um, it comes out of nowhere Um, and for anyone who has lost somebody you know that grieving it it takes its own time and then as a special needs mom you grieve for a lifetime because you others may raise their kids till they're 18 and they go off to high school and I have this realization to live with and to realize that I have this child forever, mm-hmm. and and while it's a blessing, an absolute blessing, I know that there's going to continue to every day be challenges mm-hmm. along with the blessings, um, and so that was my biggest hurdle, um, and I, I'm not saying I have arrived. <laughs> there's right. still times where it hits me. It hits me, and um, but my husband is amazing at giving me perspective. Mm. Uh, I remember we were at a wedding and that song, you know the song that comes on when the bride and the father come on the dance floor. <laughs> and I can't think of the name of it right now, but, and, and you know, every time that happens, we think, we, will we be able to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, those things that you look forward to in life. And so there was another point. But then he said to me one day, Stacey, we get her forever. A lot of times there's that grieving loss when your your children go to college or they get married and you feel like that empty nest. And he reminds me, like, Stacey, we get to hold her forever. We get to protect her forever. Mm. And, um, and, and I'm amazed at how God gave me a man who 
you know, it reminds me of that. Um, but I, I hope that answers your question. Um, yeah. It's very, you know, I can go on and on about some of the challenges, but uh, all in all, um, though there's challenges every single day, um, there's miracles that happen every single day. Mm. So that's really cool. And I, it's always good for me to hear too about how God uses the men in our lives to speak that truth in a gentle way, um, and how their perspective yeah. can be very different than ours, which is really, really good. You know what I mean? There's sometimes we're like, why are we so different? And then you're like, oh, now I know why we're so different. And that's a good thing. It's not, you know, it's not always a negative thing. But one last thing I wanted you to touch on was, um, you know, how have you seen people in the church specifically? So they may have been friends before um, with you guys, or they may not have, but what are some things that you have seen people in the church do well to love on your family, to serve your family? And then what are some things that I know this might be hard and you might not want to call people out, but just what are some things that have had you've had happen that like, I mean, and I probably would be one of those people very in a very positive way wanting to try to help, but saying not maybe the right things. But first, let's focus on the yeah. good things that the church has done and served and loved your family well. Oh, goodness. Uh, where to start? Um, I, I'm very thankful for our church family. I would say every Sunday or Wednesday when we're there, um, somebody comes up to us and, and just, you know, even if they just say, your daughter's beautiful how much that means to me Mm. Um, or you're doing a good job or can I give you a hug? Oh my goodness. I fall apart and it may not be in it because I'm trying to be tough mom, but I always end up falling apart at some point. They have embraced Addie in a way that is, is beautiful. Um, They have specifically when it comes to the children's program, um, they bring her back and there's usually one volunteer, whether it's a teenager or whether it's a adult who is her buddy in a sense. And they they allow her to do everything that the other kids do and they have a buddy by their side. Mm. Um, and they've seen that. And I'll say beyond my daughter, they have found ways to where there's um, other special needs children there. Um, I think specifically of a family of of a son who has autism. And so he has his own buddy Mm. and it's an adult buddy. And, and it, and it's hard to understand, you know, for the other kids, but um, when that person has a buddy, they can look forward to seeing every single Sunday makes a huge difference. So um, I'm sure I'm missing something, but those are the things that stick out to me. I know as Addie's bigger and maybe she grows out of the children's program, there may be different ways where, you know, we'll have to adjust and and what does church look like for us then? Um, Of course, we'll still be going and they may need to add a couple ramps. (laughs) Right, right. Um, I would say as far as addressing the question of, you know, what what can people do, I guess just remember that that we're busy Mm. (laughs) and that, when we say no to things, it's not because we don't want to, because our heart is still there. You know, I had said that I had had a full-time job. Well, my husband also had a um, full-time job at the church at the time, too, and he had to back off mm. um, to attend to his family and, and to our daughter. And it's amazing that when when you say no to something, sometimes we fear what people will say. Hmm. And, and really, it's freeing, not only for you, but sometimes people just want a yes or a no. And, and, but for us, we had to say, it's a no, but it's not because we don't want to. Right. And, and just understanding um, 
understanding that some that sometimes church can be overwhelming too. Um, if you have had a very overwhelming week, and um, I've noticed that weekends are not a weekend for us. In fact, weekends are even harder than the weekdays because we're caring for her and feeding for her and being her hands and feet every second versus when she's at school. Right. So by the time Sunday gets here, I'm a zombie. Mm-hmm. And so while some people come to church and they are refreshed, um, sometimes I'm completely exhausted. And so just maybe to recognize that and um, – I, I'm probably missing something, but of course we will accept meals as well. <laughs> That's right. Well, and I think I just thought I would add, you just add that in there. Yeah. Now let me ask you this: um, When it came to the stuff with the children's ministry, is that something that someone from the church came to you and offered, or is that something that you had to advocate for yourself? Um, I don't think it was anything we had to personally advocate for. I think during the same time of Addie. Um, getting into the children's ministry, there we were and talking about that anyways because there were several families showing up with special needs children. And so we thought we need to talk about this now so that when these children come, there's a process. Mm. Um, and so I think it was just really good timing when this came up. And um, I'm always on the lookout for new families. And if I see, I, I often see things in, in children that, maybe others don't see now Mm. um and so i like to you know meet the parents and say you know if if your child needs extra help um we could talk to somebody about getting them a buddy or something like that but um yeah that's really cool that's really cool now one final thing what would you say to a special needs mom like what what do you need to hear from someone when you're having a rough day what encourages you as a mom um, that you would want someone else who's listening today to hear if they're struggling? Ah, yeah, that you're not alone and that it's not a bad life, it's just a bad day. (laughs) Um, I have probably two really close special needs moms in my life, and we never get to see each other because we're moms (laughs) but thank god for social media i can if i'm having a bad day i will go hide in my room and i will message them before anybody and i will say you know and i'll pour my heart out and i'll maybe vent a little bit and they don't judge me Mm -hmm. they know exactly what i'm talking about i don't have to explain myself i don't have to apologize and at the end i feel better and sometimes we cry together Um, but the point is they they get it um and you need your tribe in a sense and then i go back again whether special needs mom or a mom or a dad or you need your tribe mm-hmm. and um I'm, I'm thankful for those relationships that i've built because in those moments my need to hold on and tomorrow always is better than whatever you're facing in the moment so so good yeah i was just going to say that's kind of how it is for you know and i i don't have a special needs child but that's how it is for me like there are just days where you're just like i stink at this i am not doing a very good job at this why god did you put me in charge of these people (laughs) and then you like talk to a friend and they're like oh yeah that just happened the other day to me too and you're like oh okay you know i'm not alone in this so i think that that is is really good but i think too that you have like exactly what you 
said, you have some a couple women in your life who understand your specific situation. And so, you know, there are things that you are going to struggle with with Addie that I'm not going to struggle with with my kids and vice versa. Um, and so to right. have someone who understands your situation and you don't have to explain it is something that's really helpful. And then you do. You kind of vent it and you're like, okay. I can go back to it because someone out there gets me and understands me and I'm not alone, like you said. So I think, you know, that that was really good just in the, not only for special needs moms, but like you said, for moms or dads or anybody who's, you know, parenting or taking care of anybody at all. So, Stacey, this has been so great. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that there's going to be a lot of women who are going to be encouraged by uh, sharing all of this, and I just appreciate you taking the time to share it with us today. Of course, anytime.